like to focus in on just a particular aspect of what they may look like. If you look at the front cover, the title of our message is called A Trained Response. And I'm going to make the case, I'm going to contend that um, I believe God has set this in my heart, that he would long to train us to respond courageously. He would long for us to develop into people who live courageously um, out of a, a trained nature. And I, I have to tell you, to be honest with you, I largely need to believe this. Um, I definitely do believe it, but I almost desperately need to believe it because courage is not a natural response with me. Um, if I'm honest with you, fear is a, a very natural response. And uh, when I'm confronted with situations that require my courage, what I do see in abundance within me is fear. And uh, there have been many times when uh, I've stepped into something thinking to myself, if I could just step into the fear, I'll overcome it. And what has happened um, in those situations is that actually I've been overcome by it. One incident I'd like to share with you is definitely something that has, um, has left its mark on me and, and has, in a good way. You know, it's taught me a great lesson, but it has to do with the first time I was given the opportunity to share on this stage. Um, it was about nine years ago. I had just started volunteering in the youth ministry, and the youth leaders at the time decided to put on a teen event. They decided to put different elements in the program and to have one of those elements to have somebody share a message. And they approached me um, and asked me if I'd be willing to share the message. And when I say uh, they asked me, I mean to say that they told me I'd be willing to share the message. <laughs> and uh, I sat there and I thought to myself, okay, um, I guess I'm, I'm being told I'm going to do this. And something in me thought that it felt I needed to do this. But there was a larger portion that was very afraid to do so. At the time, I had just started to serve. I had taught uh, Bible studies on Sunday school class maybe once every other month. And each time I taught, I was so intimidated by my audience of teenagers that I would just basically uh, speak to the Bible as I was reading it, you know, and I would just not, I would not look up from it. And so I thought to myself, man, I, I need to do this. And so I figured perhaps if I become an expert on the topic I've been given, and so I set myself to do hard work. I started studying and researching, and I decided to look at every possible angle on this topic. And I, this, I came up with about eight to ten pages of notes for my message. And I rehearsed it, and I looked at it, and I thought, you know, um, I'm going to get as much information as possible so that nothing can catch me off guard with this, and I can know it all. And as I do know it all, and I become sort of an expert on this, fear will slowly leave me. Uh, not the case. Um, what would happen that night, the night of the event came, I ended up sitting in the back and just thinking to myself how this was going to go, and I was still very much afraid. I was already sweating. I hadn't even done anything, and I was um, scared, and I decided to maybe visualize how uh, the talk would go, and that definitely didn't help. And so I went back into my notes, and I started just reading through my notes, and the time, the moment in the night came for me to step onto the stage and share and so I open up my folder, I step on the stage, the lights come on, and all I see is students looking at me, very uninterested, <laughs> all right? All right, and I remember just uh, being very intimidated by that, and it was silent, I couldn't hear anything, and so I, I, just in a moment of just realizing my fear was not going away, I decided my strategy to overcome this would be to not look at anyone, <laughs> just to look at my notes, and so I... 
I dove into my notes and I just ended up reading line by line what I had written. I flipped the page and on occasion I thought to myself, this probably isn't good. I should just look up somewhere but not look at anybody per se. So I would just look up, say something, and then look right back down and I would just <laughs> keep going. I went, I went through all eight to ten pages of that message. And when I was done, I, I, I had just, you know, I was so scared, so nervous, sweating. Things were, you know, sweat was just pouring out. And I looked up and I noticed nobody was with me. People were sleeping. Other people were distracted, looking elsewhere. Someone was looking at their watch, and I thought, man, I failed, and my worst fear had actually come true. And so in a moment of sheer panic and overcome with just, I can't explain it, just pure fear, in a split second, I decided maybe I could give it a second shot. And without thinking, without asking for permission, without uh, you know, considering the implications, I just went ahead, put my pages back in order, flipped them back to the first page, and decided to dive into this one more time. <laughs> and I thought, if only I could be more passionate, maybe I could be more animated, maybe I could keep people's attention. So I became very passionate at my notes, and I started reading my notes over again, and I started moving around. Occasionally, I, I, I applied my strategy, look up, look down, back into it, right? And, and I would just go into this as, as passionately as I could. And, at the end of my message, I ended up folding my notes. I prayed. I went, and as I was going off stage to sit down, I noticed my two youth leaders in the front row, and I could tell they were very unhappy with me. Their facial expression, well, I couldn't really see it because it was more like, why, right? And I, I remember just sitting next to them thinking to myself, wow, that was rough. And I look, at, I look at the watch, and I realize the crowd is thinned out, and even more people are sleeping. And I look at the watch, and... I noticed I had spoken for 80 minutes. <laughs> 80 minutes. It was very difficult to live that down. And for years after that, uh, teens would often refer to me as the 80-minute man. 80-minute man, right? And uh, we don't have that much time today, Lewis. And, you know, I share that. I share that. Thankfully, uh, that won't be the case here today. But I share that because... I think we understand what fear does to us. And it may not be the same situation, it may not be in the same way, but even as I was driving home that night just wondering what was going on, feeling very discouraged, um, if you could just imagine a cord of fear, I felt like it, in many ways it had wrapped itself right around me. and didn't allow me to step into things with strength. I became overwhelmed. And my decisions under that ended up hurting me, feeling discouraged. And I think we can understand what that's like. We know what it's like, especially if we were to sign on and say, Jesus, I will follow you. I partner up with you, God. There are many moments in our lives where courage is required and fear feels so strong. Perhaps for some of us it might mean considering making a commitment and immediately when we think of making a commitment, what comes to mind is our inability to keep it. And we're afraid that perhaps we might disappoint somebody, disappoint ourselves, let somebody else down. All because we made this commitment we just couldn't keep. In fact, it, it's no surprise that we enter a song like my Lord, my God, with such trepidation. To declare that we vow to always be true is to also invite to our minds all of our weaknesses. And all the things within us that would 
hinder us from completing that vow. If we are to sign on to this life with God, courage is highly required. Highly required. And it's not just about us stepping into a fear blindly, but to step into it with strength. To step into it having overcome our fear. Yes, we face it, but we face it down. And we walk through it and over it. And the beautiful thing about God is that he doesn't allow us to just simply be overcome by fear time and time again. He longs to train us. He longs to prepare us and equip us in very real ways so that we can face our challenges. Perhaps crisis, perhaps the shadow of the day is upon us and the Lord would be very interested in helping us be prepared, trained, to respond courageously. The passage we're going to look at illustrates this in a very real way of how God would be active in somebody's life to prepare them, train them, equip them, and enable them to face down very real challenges. And if you just open up your handout, it's really a conversation between uh, David and King Saul, the king of Israel at the time. And it's a conversation that takes place before David catapults himself into national fame. It's right before he ends up walking into the valley, confronting Goliath, overtaking him, and becoming known as the one who overcame the giant. We know this story. We may be familiar with it. At the very least, we may know the coined phrase. It's a typical David versus Goliath situation. It came from this real life experience. And I'm going to contend with you that as, as we know the story goes, David, who had five smooth stones, a sling and a stick, and came at Goliath and with one stone was able to overcome this giant of a man. That though David walked into this with courage and strength, he, was not, uh, he did not walk into it blindly. But he was very well prepared. He was trained prior to this. And I believe this conversation shows us how. In fact, if we look at verse 31, it says here that now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, that is King Saul of Israel. And he, the king, sent for David. So let me just set the table. David at the time is a young man who lives at, at home with his father. He has three brothers in the army of Israel. And his father supplies him with materials for his brothers and sends them to go give them what his father had prepared. And so David goes to his brothers, and as he comes onto the scene where his brothers are, he notices that on one side of the valley is the army of Israel, ready and prepared for battle. And on the other side of a valley is the army of the Philistines, also ready and prepared for battle. But in the middle of the valley is this man, Goliath. And Goliath would have taunted by this time the Israelites, challenging them twice a day for 40 days to bring out their champion so that this war could be handled with one battle between two people. And the winner would take all, essentially, a common practice in that day. And if we just understand and visualize Goliath, if we were to, depending on who we believe in terms of the commentators, Goliath was anywhere between 7 and 11 feet tall. Literal giant. His mail coat was heavy, 
It's 125 pounds. The head, the, just the head of his spear weighed anywhere between 15 to 25 pounds. It was a dumbbell in itself, the end of a stick. This is a strong man, a man of war. And in addition to that, we're told that he had a literal human shield. He had a smaller individual with a shield that covered his whole body, and his assignment was just to be Goliath's shield. And wherever Goliath directed him, he would move. That was his assignment. I feel bad for him, but that was it, right? (laughs) No one wanted to fight Goliath. All of the men in Israel's army were paralyzed with fear. If we were to read it, it says they were shaken to their bone with fear. No one dared challenge. So David walks into the scene. Here's Goliath taunting him. Something in him gets provoked. He starts asking questions. Why, why isn't anyone taking care of this? Are you not the army of Israel? Why is no one going out there and challenging him? And people push back. Don't you see him? So David would ask questions. Well, isn't there some sort of incentive? There must be a reward. What is it? And they tell him. And he goes back and forth and he starts stirring the pot with them and wondering. He starts questioning them why no one is stepping up to the plate. And along the way, he starts to insinuate that perhaps if no one else is willing, then maybe he would be willing. And it starts a commotion among the men of Israel who are very much afraid. And it's these words, the insinuation that David would be willing to confront Goliath that make their way to King Saul's ears. And so having nobody stepped up for 40 days, King Saul says, well, I'd like to meet this person. Send him into my tent. And verse 32, David walks into the King Saul's tent and he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. If you could hear the resolve, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Right? He's very determined. He has an unspoken strength, unafraid in some way. Saul responds the way many of us would probably respond. He looks at David, a young man, and he says, You are greatly mistaken. For you are not able, verse 33, able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You cannot do. Do you understand the gravity of the situation? The weight of the challenge you're about to embark on. No, you cannot do this, David. You cannot do this. Let me just give you a little comparison. You are a young man. You are a youth. And just so you understand what that means, Goliath, he has been at war, a warrior, since your age. He's very well equipped and trained. This is no small matter. You should strongly reconsider. And it's almost as if you could hear him say, I personally do not think you can do it. No, you should not do this. You cannot do this. And David leans in more. I love it. He says, let me explain myself. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. If you could just pause there. This would mean that David was a shepherd. 
one who took care of his father's flock. And it would also mean that he would be able to guide the sheep along the wilderness and know the terrain very well, know where to find shade and shelter and refuge and know how to take them to water deposits to nourish them. He would also, and this is important, spend days, maybe even weeks in solitude as he was taking care of his responsibilities. Many scholars believe that in this period of his life, in the unseen period, while he was being faithful to his responsibilities, David began to draw near to God. And he started to develop what many have characterized a heart of worship. And many think that in this period of his life is when some of the psalms that he's widely known for began to be written in his heart. If you look at one of the well-known psalms, Psalm 23 describes God as a shepherd. A shepherd who leads him through green pastures. He understands God by being faithful to his responsibilities and he sees the night stars and the mountains and realizes that God is very near and he is very available to draw near to him. David was a shepherd. And we're told that in verse 34, when a lion or a bear, he says this, when a lion, my, my responsibilities had certain dangers attached to them. Namely, hungry, and I would characterize this as mountain lions or bears. Back, back then, there were bears. Different occasions speak to the reality that bears existed in Palestine. Today, it's no longer the case. But David says, you know what? I took care of my father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it. I mean, think about that. He didn't have to do this. But he, was, he took his responsibility so seriously, he went after what endangered his entrustment. And he says, I would run after the lion or the bear, in itself a feat if he caught up to it, which he did. I would strike the lion or the bear. And I would deliver the lamb from its mouth. I would remove the lamb from its grip. And when it arose against me, I caught it, by its beard. I can't, I can't imagine that. What an amazing individual. He caught the animal by its beard, and I struck and killed it. I took care of it. And then he goes on, your servant has killed both lion and bear in my responsibility, in carrying out what I was entrusted with, I have taken care of the dangers, lions and bears, and this current challenger, this uncircumcised Philistine, will be like one of them. Yes, seeing as he has defied the armies of the living God, and then he points directly to where his strength comes from. He says, you know what? The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear. Yes, I went after it. I didn't have to, especially since no one was watching. Imagine this. He comes home. He tells his father, Dad, today um, we're missing one of our sheep. What happened? A lion took it. I don't think his father would have been disappointed in him or hurt that he didn't pursue the lion. He probably would have said, David, are you okay? Did the rest of the sheep make it out all right? Maybe we should avoid that terrain. No longer face those dangers. David went after him. And this is what he says. I ran after the lion and bear. I rescued the sheep. I fought and wrestled. But along the way, I know who delivered me. It was the Lord. 
See, he gave me the strength. He gave me the speed. He gave me the ability and the courage to confront this danger and to overcome it. He delivered me. That victory belongs to him and him alone. And it is in his strength that I did that. And he says, he was the one who delivered me. And I'll tell you what, King Saul, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. In the same way he delivered me back then, he will deliver me right now in my current situation. He will do this. He will do this. King Saul looks at David and almost, some would say, maybe out of a motive of resignation, realizing that David, passionately bent on this issue, was not going to be persuaded to abandon his mission. And so kind of gives in and says, well, David, then go. And may the Lord be with you in this. Many believe, and I don't think he actually believed David, or that he believed David would be able to overcome. I don't think anyone expected to see what was about to happen. And in fact, David, after he leaves, he continues to move into this reliance on God. And as he's running into, into the Philistine, into Goliath, as he is approaching him, he says this very critical phrase. He, he declares God's reality in his life. And if this is what he said in verse 46. He says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. In itself, a very intimidating picture. But, but I, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will overcome you, Goliath, but it will not be by my strength. I declare God is here and he will deliver me. He will, and he charges them. And one of the most historic moments of his life take place because of it. David was trained to be courageous. David was prepared. God had very much equipped him to confront Goliath. No one else may have seen it, but he was prepared. He was prepared. It's a powerful, powerful image and account. In our closing minutes together. I'd, I'd like us to just consider this account of David just a little differently. Perhaps apply, apply how we can live courageously as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to partner up with God in our daily lives and honor him. I believe there are certain principles we can draw away from this, very practical ways we can train ourselves to follow the Lord courageously. See, I think David's example encourages us, number one, firstly, to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in our past. Of God's faithfulness to us in our past. And this is very, this is important. This is important because some of us, some of us are currently in painful situations. Perhaps we're in a season where things don't look very good. Things are crumbling around us. Reasons to show that things are going well are very few and far between. And what dominates our perspective is that there are different, if I could put it this way, lions and bears attacking. And we feel discouraged. We feel discouraged. We're going through it. We feel weak. And our strength has just been pulled away. 
Perhaps it would have to do with a relationship that needs our attention. It's hanging by a thread and it strikes at our fear. Keeps us up. Doesn't allow us to shake it loose. We don't know what's going to happen. Or some of us may be struggling with trusting God as we see our financial resource diminish as time goes on. What we had assumed would always be there is not. Or maybe we leaned on somebody or certain things around our lives and all of a sudden we find ourselves alone. That is no longer there. And feeling overwhelmed is right there at our gate. In those situations, in these circumstances, reminding ourselves that God has been faithful in our past is an enormous point of strength and resolve for us. God has been faithful to us. He has brought us through so much. If we take our gaze off of what is going on around us and put our gaze onto how God has brought us through things, how God has protected us, how God has delivered us from past lions or bears, we will be strengthened to meet the current situation. For God's promise is that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but that he will always walk with us, endure with us and strengthen us, equip us and help us in our current challenge. We do not approach this alone. But we very much walk with the knowledge that the Lord is active. We declare his reality right here. He was real in my past. He is real in my present. And he will be real in my future. When the cloud forms and I know it's coming and the shadow will hit me and I will have to confront this, I will not fear for the Lord my God is with me. He has been faithful. He will continue to be faithful. We need to remind ourselves. We need to remind ourselves. David did Time and time again, he knew he did not confront Goliath alone. But the God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the bear will do it once again. He does not change. He loves us, cares for us, nurtures us, protects us, guides us. He helps us through the valley of the shadow. May we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Secondly, I think David's example encourages us to be vigilant with our current responsibilities to be vigilant in other words to be alert to not look away to not consider any detail too minute to be faithful to it David had no one watching him and he did not have to pursue or defend his flock he did not have to fight for that one sheep but he did even though no one was watching it reveals that at his core, he had strong integrity. And if you could hear this, it is the principle that if we are faithful with the small entrustments we've been given, no matter how small they are, it strengthens us. It strengthens us to handle the larger entrustments perhaps the Lord may want to give to us. And it's on the, on the actions of our current faithfulness that the bricks are laid for our future breakthrough. It is here and now in our daily lives if we step into it vigilantly, willing to protect what we have been given, 
whether they be relationships or our own attitudes, or perhaps it's challenging ourselves in our habits, or perhaps it's in our careers to step into it with a a more awareness and not to turn a blind eye, not to look away at the small details, not to give ourselves permission to walk away with understandable excuses, but to fight, to defend what's been given to us. It will prepare us for the moment when we will have to face our Goliath. It will. We will be trained. We will be trained. And lastly, I think of this idea that David's example encourages us to step into our decisions, to walk into them courageously. And, you know, I think about it. Imagine it. It was one thing for David to declare it in King Saul's tent that he was going to confront Goliath. But what must have gone through his mind when he walked out of the tent And he took the very long, courageous walk from the tent to the battlefield. Each step closer to his challenger. Each step closer to confronting perhaps a very real fear. What must have it felt like? What must have surged through his bones as the rocks and dirt crumbled beneath his sandals and his shoes and everything was silent as all of Israel was waiting in anticipation. See, David had to take the walk, for there is always a gap between our decision and the carrying out of our decision. The Lord may ask us to take that walk of courage, to take those steps and carry out our decision, to team up with the Lord and follow Him well. It reminds me of a very real walk of courage that our ultimate example Jesus had to take as he took the walk from the bottom of Calvary to the top, a walk that needed an enormous amount of courage to confront his Goliath on the cross. He was asked to endure and to step into it courageously. And because Jesus did, because he did, many of us live from his courageous decision and the way he carried it out. Many of us receive hope and strength and life. Many of us are able to come to him with joy and thankfulness. We are able to sing of his faithfulness. Jesus not only walked up Calvary, he also joins us and walks with us. He walked the walk and completed it courageously. And it is him who strengthens us and walks by our side when it's our turn. When the Lord invites us on our walk, he does not send us alone. He joins us. He is the one who strengthens us and makes our feet sure each step of the way. May the Lord give us strength and courage. May he train us. May we set our minds like a flint, determined to do what he is asking us to do. That when that day comes, we may not be ashamed, but we would be able to declare, the Lord has delivered me in the past. He will deliver me in the present, and he will deliver me in the future. May this be the case. And may many live, live out of our courage. In fact, the closing song we're going to share as we receive our time of giving and the band comes up is called Yes, I Will, and it describes this walk of courage Jesus took. And it invites us to declare, 
I will follow. I will walk with you. When you invite me, I will. Yes, I will, Lord. May that be the case. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you that you are active in our everyday lives. And you know what future challenges behold us and come to us even before we do. I thank you that you prepare us, you equip us, you long to train us to respond courageously. And I thank you that ultimately you are the one who strengthens us to face our lions and bears and ultimately our Goliaths. And it is by your hand that we will be delivered. May that be true in our lives, in our relationships, in our hearts and in our minds. May that be true for us, God, as we follow you, as we follow you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>